Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. On today's show, we have one of my local legal heroes. Uh, Joe Hunt is well-known, well-regarded locally in the legal community at large, as well as the family law community. Uh, he's one of the uh, three partners at Harris Hunt and Durr, at least the three named partners. He also has a excellent taste in music, which is primarily why I brought him in, but I'll probably talk about both with him. Thank you so much for coming today. You're welcome. And I'm, I'm glad if we only talk about music today. Well, so. I, I don't know when it was that I became uh, aware that you were a fan. I have a, well, there was a brief period of time where we worked in the same building and uh, the barrister's building. And I remember kind of passing you in the parking lot and I think it may have come up there, but I think I ran into you and Phil Wartenberg at a Wilco concert one time. You- Does that seem like that? Yes, it, uh, it was the, I think it was the My Morning Jacket Wilco Bob Dylan show. Was that the one? Well, that was one for sure. But then they also played at the Straz Theater. Um, Bonavere played there. I, I could be confusing. These were all around the same right. time, but I remember. The point that I'm getting to is somehow you and Phil Wartenberg occupy the same, like, I kind of figured out at the same time that you guys had decent taste in music and like going to live shows. So, well, and it was probably on that, the, the Wilco one, if I was with somebody, probably been Niall Brooks, actually, not. Uh, that's Phil. also true. And isn't he like a giant Iron Maiden fan or something like that? Huge Iron Maiden <laughs> yeah, fan. That's, I got to have him on here. You need to. We could just and, talk and Iron you know, Maiden. Now plays live out too. He's, I've, I think I've, I've, you know, somehow I've gotten through my career. Not intentionally, but avoiding him. I've never had a case with him. I know the name very well, but somehow, well, and also the same is true for you. I don't think I may have had a case with your firm. I know I've never had a case with you, but you also tend to do a lot of the higher end collaborative, not all collaborative, but that kind of stuff. Right. Now, um, are you from Florida originally? No, I'm from Michigan originally. Michigan. All right. Whereabouts in Michigan? The little town called Mount Morris, just north of Flint, Michigan. So was it industrial or was it country? Or I I heard the word for the first time used yet the other day, exurbs. You ever heard the phrase exurbs I have before? Not, no. As opposed to suburbs, I guess, which I, I don't know if that's like outer suburbs or, or whatever. I don't, I, I'll have to look it up, but I thought it was a great word. Um, Mount Morris was a little bit of a country, but literally it's, I mean, it was north of Flint, like four or five miles, and Flint's very industrial. So it was, you know, but most people there worked, you know, in Flint. Well, so it, let me go through my brief knowledge of Michigan. I've got Iggy Pop, I've got MC5, I've got Ted Nugent, I've got the Water Crisis, I've got the Car Factories, and I've got Joe Hunt. That's kind of you've uh, that's you've, pretty much the yeah, greatest uh, hits of Michigan. Know, that's that, that are the, <laughs> the not greatest hits. So yeah, much of yeah, it. yeah, the ups yeah. and downs. So, what years were you there? Well, I was born and raised there, um, and I left in the late '80s after college. I went to Michigan oh. State. Okay, so late 80s, you were already out of college? Mm-hmm. You've aged very well. Oh, uh, thank you. How old are you? 56. Really? Wow. I hope I hope I look, <laughs> I hope I'm doing as well as you at 56. I feel like I look like I'm 56 already and I'm oh, 44. Believe me, it's, so. that's, it's, I'm, I'm fooling people then because when I get out of bed in the morning, I feel If you feel every, every, <laughs> every moment of it. Um, so growing up in Michigan, how was that? Was it, was, was, what, what did dad do? What did mom do? Um, well, they, just like everybody in Flint, they they were either connected to the auto industry or they worked, my dad worked in the auto factory and my mom worked in the, she worked in the factory also. When did it tank? 
What year was that approximately? Pretty much about the time I graduated from college. Oh, yeah. So that was kind of the end. <laughs> Part of, of the reason my parents left. I mean, my sis, I had three siblings. They were all leaving. Everybody. I mean, Flint literally in the 80 census to the 90 census, the population pretty much cut in half. Everybody wow. left. That's Although, insane. I mean, the unemployment rate in the early, early 80s was 25 to 30%. But they did. They were in the auto factories. And so, did they just take jobs at you know in Florida, or, or what, what was the move? No, my dad, you know, he was with um, GM. Is he still for, with us, or no? Okay. Neither, you know, my parents are. Okay. My my dad was with GM for thirty some years. He retired. He was like fifty three years old. Okay, but, you know, yeah. that's, So he and he was born. He was born and raised in Georgia. He moved back to Georgia. Could you imagine being retired already? <laughs> wow. I, I, it's part of me thinks it would be the best thing ever. Then part of me thinks it would spell like my demise. You I, know, when my dad stopped working, he he didn't last much longer after that. If you don't have a reason to get up in the morning, you tend to kind of just sink into the couch, and that's the end of I it. I've known that to happen to people. Yeah, yeah. So uh, your siblings, older, younger, a little bit of both. Uh, two older and one younger. Okay, brothers, sisters. Older sister, older brother, younger sister. Okay, and were you guys close? In age or to, to, to it, well, uh, relationship wise, yeah, relationship growing up. I mean, they live in uh, my younger sister moved back to Flint. She lives up there. Okay, and my older, yeah, my other two live in Georgia. Okay, um, so we don't see each other that often. Right. Um. You know, the one thing about you know, we text and but you know, we don't we don't see each other very often just because right. of the distance. Religious family, not a religious family. Uh not a religious family. Okay, liberal conservative. For my growing up, or yeah, my growing up, um, you know, it's interesting because Flint was very much, um, you know, my I had Southern parents. My mom sure. was born in Arkansas. My dad was raised in Georgia, um, but they were that was back when they were Democrats, right? True and true, and they were Union people. So, yeah, you know, they were definitely Democrats. It was a different look back then from from today, for sure. Very much so. Um, what what did a young Joe Hunt do in high school? Was he an artist? Was he an athlete? Was he a academic or a recluse or what was? <laughs> a little bit of a recluse. Yeah. Um, I had a small handful. I mean, I was when I graduated from high school, I was voted the shyest guy in my senior class. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, now there, that could that could mean a couple of different things. One is you're having a lot of conversations, just no one's privy to them inside your head. And then, or something else. So, was it? Was it? Were you just getting the angles on the room? Or well, my friends said, "Well, we can't get you to shut up." So, what are these people talking about? It's just, just I had a small circle of friends, and I didn't. You know, I did. I wasn't. I was a little socially awkward about starting new conversations. Yeah. I didn't know, but and also, I was very much a. Um, you know, sit me in in a room for three hours and read a book, and I was happy. I mean, I was. I guess that's like my wife, Dina. She's one of six, but she loved her solitude. Loved to be, you know. I'm that way. I'm an only child, so I grew up in that environment just by the fact there was no one else around. So yeah. that's for me. I get energized being away from people. She does too, but she's a part of a bigger family, so she's a little bit different but yeah no for me it's it's i find people training <laughs> well i think that was part of the issue yeah you know, i had we we lived in look my parents were of modest means we were i guess um you know uh what's the i mean lower socioeconomic not poor but we lived in a trailer park for a lot of years oh really you know, we had you know you got three siblings and just you know and, and pretty small you know getting your solitude it's expensive was, yeah and, but also finding your solitude wasn't that easy yeah so when you got it you really you know i i you know, I welcomed it and I enjoyed it and I took advantage of it. Did you listen to music back then? Were you into comic books? Did you play any sports or? I, well, I played a lot of basketball, not organized so much. Um, pick up? 
pick up a lot. I had, uh, I played in a golf team in high school. Oh, really? Yeah, I couldn't golf. I mean, I was I, 15. I, a friend of mine said, why don't you play on a golf team? I'd, I'd golf like twice my whole life. And so like, all right. So yeah. I learned how to play golf by being on the golf team. Uh, yeah. People always ask me uh, if I, if I play golf or if I play guitar, I'm like, well, I own clubs and I own a guitar, <laughs> but I don't know. I'm, Play's a real strong first word. First of all, I own a guitar and I own clubs and, yeah. uh, and <laughs> the, the guitar sits in the wall and the clubs sit in my garage yeah, and they don't yeah. get used much. So. Well, that's cool. So college, where did you go? Michigan State. And is that the only place that you applied? Was that like if you're a state resident, you get to go there free or? You didn't get to go free. Um, I don't recall if I applied very many other places. It wasn't the only place I applied, but I don't recall where else I applied. But it was, you know, I was going to have to go in state because it was like. Is that the Spartans? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And how was that experience? Loved it. What years were you in college? Uh, 82 to 87. Okay. Um, And I, again, loved it. I loved my time there. I bleed green and white i mean i'm so you're a follower to you know, sports and all that other stuff mainly basketball yeah um but yeah i just I, I mean it's a beautiful campus beautiful school if i get up there i've taken my kids there to show them just show them the campus because it was such a great camp place to it was a great place to be in college, go to college. Well, what did you major in finance oh really okay the head for numbers or what, what was the thinking there Head for numbers, it was kind of an alternative. I actually wanted to be an economics major. Okay. Um, I loved economics. I well, probably, economics was a big talking point in the 80s, you know, <laughs> trickle down and otherwise. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, and trickle up. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, was. yeah. And so I um, I probably took a total of maybe six economics classes in college. Michigan State didn't have minors. Sure. Um, but you had to, in order to get a major or a degree in economics, you had to, to have calculus. And I, Ooh. calculus and me didn't I agree. I can't even spell calculus. Oh, we did yeah. not agree. So yeah. I, I, so I became a finance major. Okay. Okay. And then straight into law school or did you work a little bit before you did no, that? No, I, when I came out of high school or college, it, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, honestly. And then I was in Flint and it was like, there's nothing here. Yeah. So I shortly thereafter, a few months moved to Tampa. Um, what, what brought you to Tampa? I had visited. I had a friend, my best friend growing up, had moved to Tampa. I mean, it's pretty much the other end of the dial from Michigan. So my best friend growing up had um, was in the Army. Okay. He got the Army. He came down to Tampa, went to USF. I had visited him, really liked it. And he said, why don't you come move down here? So I did. And then I, w- I started actually my MBA at USF. Oh, really? Um, okay. And then when I got into that, I decided to this is not really what I want to do. Um, so I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. One thing to back up a little bit, you know, being really shy and going to college. I, I came from a huge family, extended family. Uh-huh. I mean, dozens and dozens of cousins. What are you? Are you wasp? What's, what's your? Well, I was the first person ever in my extended family ever to go to college. Either. Okay. So I didn't even know what a fraternity was when I walked into college. But are you of English or Scottish or Irish or do I you? It's a, it's, I mean, there's some. I've got some American in me, but yeah. mostly um, Scottish and English. Okay. Hunt's definitely an English name. Okay. So anyway, you were you were talking about you wanted to back up a little bit. So I, you know, then I I left MBA. Then I was um, started thinking about law school, and it wasn't to become a lawyer um, because I had a passion for politics. Really? Um, okay. I did, and um, um, so and then it was so then I started applying for law schools. Work some jobs as, you know, waiting, those kind of things, try to save some money. Right. Um, and then applied to different law schools. Um, the two that I remember applying were Stetson and University of Denver. Um, okay. That I got accepted to. I remember those because that was the two it came down to and I went to Stetson. Denver and Gulfport, you know, it's a hard choice. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it, you know, looking well, I don't, have, I don't regret anything. Well, sure. I, I, I mean, you've be, done well by but, it, but well, yeah. and also I wouldn't have met my wife or whatever. There's all yeah. sorts of things that wouldn't happen. Well, that's the life. same for me. Um, what was I going to ask you? There's a question I was going to ask you. Oh, any lawyers in the family? No, like I said, I was the first person in my family ever go to college. Let okay, alone law school. Okay, so Harry, do you become the uh, the settler of all problems <laughs> in, internally? <laughs> Um, ask, Joey, ask Joey what he thinks on this. I do get sometimes like some people, like, hey, what do you think of this? And it's always some, they're in Georgia, they're right. Yeah. I'm like, I don't it's know. It's not a law that, that I practice. It's not an area that I know. <laughs> I mean. I, Thankfully, I think I said that enough times. I don't get those that, questions. They know by anymore. this point right. just to leave you alone. Uh, you mentioned wanting to go into politics. Did you have political heroes at that time or people that kind of uh, inspired you to kind of want to go into that world? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it probably more literary heroes, um, that kind of steered me. Are you a big reader? I was younger. I was, yeah, I was huge. I mean, who'd you like? Uh, Steinbeck, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn were two of my favorites when I think of my youth. Um, Solzhenitsyn's heavy for youth. I, you know. That was your thing. It was, um, it, trying to think of my heroes though, politically back then. I mean, gosh, it's really this Jimmy whole, Carter. <laughs> Jimmy Carter wasn't a hero. I admired him. Yeah, um, he wasn't a hero. Matter of fact, it's it's interesting. In you know, I joined. I think seventy nine. I was fifteen. I joined Young Republicans in Flint. Yeah, I wasn't a Republican. And matter of fact, you were supposed to be eighteen to be in it, but I got invited to be in it because I was politically sure. aware and, and interested. And but I went to like two meetings, and all they did was talk bad about Democrats. I'm like, this isn't for me. I was just trying to learn the whole political angle. Of right, it. and then. I wish I'd stayed in it only because the Republican National Convention in 1980 was in or Detroit and it would have had and just to learn it, not because right. I've never been a Republican. And was that year Reagan versus because Car- it was Carter was only one term, right? Reagan versus Carter. In yeah. Interesting. Well, that would have been a good one to, to witness. I was not a Reagan fan, um, yeah. but it would have been neat to uh, go to that. It's yeah. so funny the the place he kind of holds in our history because it's you know the, the, he's very much been romanticized, but I think with a little bit of perspective and distance, there's been some holes poked in the facade of how great that period was. I don't know if you remember it at the time or you know looking at it through history's glasses, but. You know, that's always considered by a lot of people like the the heyday of America, you know, the economy. The Well, I think, you know, I, I, I kind of look at it from a different perspective, too, is we look at it in the lens versus today. And sure. uh, I just think, you know, the, you know the, um, the landscape and the dialogue was very different back then. Yeah. I mean, I didn't agree with much of what Reagan did, um, but. You know, it doesn't mean I didn't I didn't question his his patriotism, right? I mean, yeah. So, and that's what happens now. If you don't agree, it's like, oh, you're not you're not American, you're not patriotic. You can't have a a civil. It is discussion. very difficult. I didn't. I went to college. Matter of fact, my uh, I had some roommates that we would get in these huge. I, they were really conservative. I was the one liberal, and we would get in these huge arguments, and we always ended them. And so, matter of fact, how just how we ended them? It's kind of funny. Um, um, you won't remember this, but in 79, the Who concert in Cincinnati where 11 people died mm-hmm. um, because the general admission, they thought they were, the Who was coming on, they heard the music, and it was a stampede. Well, WKRP in Cincinnati did an episode about that, and one, and uh, one Gary Sandy, of it was, he was the actor, his character, would say, it all comes down to that damn festival seating. So we would always, if our arguments got out of hand, one of us would say, 
you know what it comes down to? It's that damn festival yeah, scene. That was, and we knew it was like, okay, that time was to the stop. safe word. Yeah. Time to stop this because <laughs> we don't want to make it personal. It's just about, okay, we disagree on issues. So that's, what? That's funny. So you went with Stetson uh, over Denver. Um, this is what, late 80s? Mm-mm. Early 90s? Early 90s. I started in January of 91. Okay. My class. And did it click right away that this is where you're supposed to be or did it take a little bit of doing? It still hasn't clicked for me and I'm about 20 years in. You know, as I said, I didn't even go to law school and started it and tend to be a lawyer. Yeah. Um, It didn't click right away. I can't say what what caused it to click. It was a place to be. I love the first year. I love the, um, I love some of the, 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 the challenge of the reading, the, the kind of things like constitutional law, for example, that kind of stuff I just loved. Um, it was difficult. I mean, it was, you know. Was, yeah, but everybody, you know, what I've found is it's easier to suffer when everyone's suffering. So in law school, it's easier to study because that's no, it's not like someone else is out surfing or someone else is whatever. Like everybody's doing it. That's been the same, at least in the early stages of the pandemic with business. It's like, Okay, business sucks for absolutely everybody. So, I mean, I can feel bad about it, right. but it's not like anybody else is getting over on it. So, that was my recollection of year one. So, uh, where did you where did you gravitate? Were you more in the advocacy sector? Did you do law review? Did you do moot court? Any of that stuff? I didn't do law review. I did. Um, I was on the environmental moot court team. Okay, in my third year. Um, which was, it, it was fun. It was actually four of us. I wound up being the alternate on when, and, and I went, went in the coach's place because the coach was doing something that had right. changed job. So we went to New York and, and had a really a good time. And I was just an alternate. I'm helping them, but it's the best. You can uh, drink and you don't have to worry about prepping. <laughs> so, uh, so I like, like I, you know, but I took trial practice and, and that's when I started thinking, um, I think in my third year I did that. And I was like, yeah, I kind of like this. So what was the first job out of law school? Um, I did. I worked for a sole practitioner um, in in Temple Terrace, actually, which is okay. not where I live. Um, for it, not it was his practice was struggling. I took that job, and then and I did some other side stuff for other yeah. other lawyers, mainly writing briefs, things right. like that. What type of law was that? It was everything. Everything threshold law. A lot of bankruptcy. Okay. Um, some family law, but you think about it, I think pretty much if it walked in the door, we could do it. it right. Was, a lot of it was like you know. Chapter 7, 13 bankruptcies. So how long? Just a couple of years there? Probably not even that. Oh, pretty quick. Um, pretty yeah. quick turnaround. Now, where does your wife, meeting your wife, getting married fall in this whole timeline? She and I met in 1997. Okay. Um, and we got married. Yeah, our wedding anniversary was yesterday. That's right. Happy uh, anniversary. 21 years yesterday. That's, that's big. What's um, 21 years? Like cardboard or what's the... What's the anniversary? I don't, know that. I, I don't know the answer to that. It's, and, and you have COVID. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not getting COVID. It's paying your mortgage. Right. Yeah. So, um, so, so you had been out for a little bit by that point practicing. Yeah, okay. I was uh, actually um, working for Mugen Real, Catherine Real's firm. Um, oh, you worked for Catherine Real too? I did for four years. Wow. I'm always amazed at who worked for Catherine Real, and you don't have to comment on any of this, but. Um, She's a galvanizing figure locally, and she practices law in a certain way. And anytime I run into like a Courtney Bowes or an Alberto Romero or a Joe Hunt, I'm always surprised that they sharpen their teeth or their short sword coming through that gauntlet. So uh, she still practice. I don't know. I, I, I had a case I, with her a little while ago, but it's been it's been a few years. I did too. I don't know. She sold that building. She did. Yeah, I've okay. driven by that a few times. I didn't right. know that. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, she, you know, she's a tough tough cookie, and so you know, like. 
Courtney Bowe is one of the most low-key people you're ever going to run across. And Alberto was, you know, a great attorney, uh, you know, and, and a fierce advocate in the courtroom, but just the consummate gentleman. And I, I'll kind of get to this discussion with you eventually about the regard that I hold you in and why. But um, so that's interesting to me. So how many years? You said four years there? Four years. And then what? Well, um, then I left and formed my own practice. What had happened was, now, I'd say to Catherine Real, um, yeah, your galvanizing figure. The one thing she did, though, is she gave you a lot of responsibility. Maybe sometimes you weren't ready for it. Right. Um, but believe me, I learned a lot. You learned it, a lot, yeah. I learned a whole lot. And um, and I worked my tail off, too, because it really required that. 100%. And with her, I mean, very sharp, you know, fear like – it wasn't going to be an easy case. You're going to be a lot of discovery practice. You're going to be a lot of motions. There's going to be a lot of fee hearings. There's going to be, I mean, you're, you're going to get your money's worth as far as being in the courtroom with her. So 100%, I, I, I would imagine you got to see every angle of it while you were there. So I left her and, and just had my own practice for a while. Um, it was interesting. I left, it was 99 and. <laughs> You know, Nancy Harris was actually had been a few people that offered me jobs, and I always said, "Yeah." So Nancy was trying to hire me. Yeah, and 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 then finally, Nancy said, "Yo, if you're not going to come work for me, you should form your own practice." Right. And I started, you know, I started thinking about that, and it was scary because I had a my wife wasn't working at the time; I had a three month old baby, and um, and yeah. so and then okay, jumping off a cliff, Jump, yeah. yeah. And it was, you know, I did that for a while. The problem is, you know, this when you're when you're by yourself. There are things you have to stress over. You don't have to stress over with a firm, and it it became um, really. I mean, I it it just was. I wasn't the right time for me. I shouldn't have done it at the time. And that's so true. I, you know, I've I've spent. You know, I've been out on my own since two thousand and five, uh, and you know, there's been various episodes during that time period where I'm like, God, if I could just not have to do this whole part of it and be an attorney. You know, anytime I have a case where it's up against a bigger firm and it's an associate or whatever. And they have all these beautiful memos and all this case law and stuff. It's like, yeah, I was trying to figure out why my burglary alarm wouldn't go off last night. And I got a roof leak and I got to figure out how to make payroll this Friday. So I didn't have all the time to do, you know, these fancy memos and case law. So, you know, I always wonder what it would be like to just be able to practice law, you know, and there's been people like, uh, Jeff Coster who went older in Lundy and, you know, uh, Luke who went and worked with, uh, Ingrid and all these different people who kind of saw a future working for somebody else and, and took that chance. So, yeah, that's something I, I think about a lot. But luckily with Nancy, I mean, you couldn't have picked a, <laughs> a better, a better, a better person. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of the adjectives I could use for her, a better attorney, a better person, a better business person, just all around, you know, great individual. I mean, she's really is one of a kind. Now, did you, know her pretty well before that how was it that she came to offer did you have cases together or we had a case together because she doesn't hire people lightly i mean she doesn't people don't join your firm just kind of on a whim i mean it's there's a pretty good vetting process so we had a case together and we got to know each other pretty well through that um i think we got the we got to know each other a little bit through the ends of court that pretty much started around that time also i think the ends of court here the family in started maybe 97 if i remember correctly yeah um, and Nancy was one of the founders of that. So, right. and I, I was one of the early people to join it. So, but ma- it was mainly this case we had together and we got to spend some time and she saw what I, how I practiced. And I was with Catherine real at the time. You know? Right. But I literally, when, when I was with Catherine, I pretty early on just kind of had my own 
um, um, you know, not, it's almost like I was partners with Catherine. I've got my own thing going on. Here. Right. And, and that, you know, that was nice. Yeah. So, uh, when you started with Nancy, was it just the two of you or? No, when I started working with Nancy, I started with her in 04. Um, Christine was, Christine Durr was there, but not as That's a lawyer. That's right. Yet. She told me that. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. She was not a lawyer yet. And Chris Regano was working there. Oh, time. really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Chris left maybe six months later. Now he, when I came into the Barrister's building, Regano and his partner, Eric, what was the guy's name? Did criminal big, tall guy. They were, well, you guys were all on the same floor. He was up in the right hand corner and you guys were in the center part there. Weren't you? Yeah, I remember the guy. I can't remember his name. Yeah, either. anyway. Okay, I didn't know Regano was there. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, so, you guys did work together or he was on his way out when you came in? or No, he was there. But, again, he was, again, so long ago. But it's probably about six months. Yeah. And then he left. Yeah. And then I think, I don't know if he went and joined that other gentleman right away or if he was at his own practice first. I don't recall. So, uh, when you when you got in with Nancy, was it pretty clear right away that you were happy with the decision that you made? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because partnerships are a dicey proposition. I mean, they either all the way work or they all the way don't. It's very hard to kind of occupy a middle ground in partnerships. You know, you've got to either be on the complete same page, have a lot of trust for each other that both it's, it's a marriage. I mean, it really is a marriage, you know, and, uh, I've, I've been a part of partnerships before and luckily I've remained friends with my partners, but, very difficult to do because I you know at least in a marriage, there's love there, you know, so there is kind of a glue there that you don't always necessarily have, at least in that way in a business. So, um, so, so 2004, so not quite 20 years yet, but you're getting pretty darn close. Yeah. And I'll say one thing about Nancy too, is she's uh you know, she's very classy individuals, the one, always, but she also, um, you know, she's got very high standards, Yes, but you know, she, from the get go, right, believed in me more than I would ever believe in myself. And even with those high standards. So right. that's, that's, that's kind of, and you know, I've got that. That's thankfully I have partners, including my own wife. That's the same thing that, you know, really, well, have they a, make you better. Uh, and you know, most, most people that are, you know, if you knew you were amazing, you wouldn't be Joe Hunt. <laughs> like, you know, that, that's not, that's not a, a paint that you paint with. So that's, but that's a compliment. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, that firm, does it exclusively do family law? That's all I've ever known it to do. Do you guys dabble in anything else or? That's all we've ever done is family law. That's great. And you guys were really kind of first through the door in the whole collaborative movement. And at least that's, that was my perception. Well, I would say when I joined with Nancy, that was one of the things that I really liked the, the, the that being, cause that was something on the ground floor, really. And she yeah. I mean, that really, was only like 2005, wasn't it? The practice group that I'm in here, we, we formed in 2006. Okay. So the first, there was a practice group that started in 2000, but didn't really, it wasn't, it wasn't as formal as this one is. Right. Right. Now, where, how many kids do you have? Three. And wh- when, what are their ages? 21, 18, and, and 16. <laughs> so two in college, one in high school? Or? Correct. Okay. Where, what, what colleges? Uh, I've got one up in Tallahassee. Okay. My 18-year-old goes up to Point Park, which is in Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, and my youngest one's in, uh, she's a um, she's a junior at Brooks to Barlow High School. Okay. Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. What's in Pittsburgh? She is a theater. Oh, okay. Kid. And okay. Um, Point Park is a very has a very good conservatory, so she got into the BFA program. Right up there. How did you find having kids uh, impact your your practice of family law? Did it change you completely, or not much? Ooh. Um, 
I don't know. I can say it changed me completely. I mean, I was an empathetic person who saw nuance and got, you know, the import of family beforehand. Well, I'm very lucky too. My parents, um, even though they were not educated, my dad had eighth grade education, my mom, you know, high school, um, you know, empathy is something they taught all of us. And my emotional intelligence, my parents divorced when I was 11 Uh and, well, my father passed away almost 20 years ago now. I remember going through like papers and seeing things that he had that my, and my mom, mom having like having to go to court over child support and things right. like that. We never knew a darn thing about. My parents yeah. kept that all that from us. That's, um, and they wouldn't go around saying things about the other. So, I mean, I learned a lot in that regard of right. how to not, um, you know, so how to, how to, I can help guide clients cry through the process when they have kids and try not to get the emotions, you know, not, I mean, they're going to have their own emotions, but don't take advantage of their emotions. Now, if, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't you recognized by the local end of court for, is it professionalism or what's the, what's the award that I'm thinking it's, of? It's, um, yeah, it's a professionalism award. So you, you, this is, I'm not saying you're as old as these gentlemen, but I have these lists of names that <laughs> sit out there and it's Stan Givens, Jim Knox, uh, Ron Reed, Dominic Baccarella, and you. And, what is so amazing to me about, and a lot of them, there's a lot of people who probably think they're devils or probably think that they're, you know, what, whatever, but they were able to get through a career and one of, I'm not going to say it's the toughest career because, I mean, you could be fighting in Afghanistan or what, you know, there's tougher careers, but emotionally speaking, it's very easy to become sour or hardened or, uh, you know, with your family, with your loved ones, with your friends, with your clients, with opposing counsel, with the court. And um, you have gotten through 20 some odd years of doing this and maintained that ability to be gracious and to be empathetic and to be uh just a good person and and is that something that you struggle with is it something that comes naturally is that something that you think about <laughs> it's hard to say well the, those the, those compliments you just gave me come naturally okay, so that, that i don't have to acknowledge them okay. um you don't have to acknowledge or accept that they're true but they are true but i you, don't i don't i don't say i struggle with them no um because i do i i have i have this schizophrenia in me part of me very much wants to be you and 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 you know there's there's two instances with Jim Knox and Dominic Baccarella where they had me by the short and curlies they could have decimated me and they took I wouldn't say pity but they were gracious what with Dominic I we had this motion that was coming up my client hadn't done discovery we were looking at all these attorney's fees and all this other stuff and I don't know if I got food poisoning or the stomach bug or what but literally I was gutting it out to make it to that motion and get in there. I had no defense. Dominic knew he, knew he had me dead of rights. He said, if you're sick, just let me know you're sick and we'll reset the motion. And and I was just like, I almost started crying because I was like, you have no reason to do that for me other than that you're a, a good, gracious person. And and the fact that he did that gave me some modicum of hope. You know, there is there is a way to do this job and be a good person at it. But then there's other parts of me where it's just like, you know, the, the, the frustration, the anger, the, the w- w- exhaustion, all that stuff. And I just, 
you know, I come home and my family want to ask me a bunch of questions and all such stuff. And I'm like, can I just have five minutes where I'm not solving the world's problems? Yeah. And, you know, so I, I feel like I get torn in different directions. And so that's one of the biggest things that impresses me about you. Oh, well, believe me, I it, I feel the same way oftentimes, especially not so much now uh, when my kids are older, but when they were younger. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you come home to deal with the stuff we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis and you come home and it's like, you know, you might have something that seems really minor that your kid's struggling with or whatever. Like, you know, I don't know. I can't think of an example right now. Um, you know, but also I think, you know, for me, I'm thankful I've had great mentors yeah. in, in my life. And I don't mean law. And let me include Nancy Harris into that. I, I don't mean to all, uh, you know, all men, but by any shot, but, uh, you know, Nancy is the the crown jewel there so i you know if there's i'm not trying to be chauvinist or anything but those are just my personal experiences with attorneys well i've had great mentors in my life in you know starting from an early age yeah and, you know not just my parents but others that you know that but empathy is a huge aspect of it walking somebody else's shoes never knowing what's going on i always try to remind myself if somebody's because believe me there are times what i somebody come back to me and say you were a jerk okay you're right that's you know so but so what's going on behind the scenes in their life at that moment that they get, are they fighting with their spouse right now? It's an impact. You know, I, you know, I don't assume anything yeah. um, because I'm, you know, I'm human too. And I make those mistakes. I remember recently I had a, I had an instance where a, a lawyer sent me, filed something and I didn't in, in, they basically accused me of something and I, and I reached out to him and sent him an email. So I don't think you should have done this, whatever. So that lawyer's credit, he called me up and then we had a discussion about it. And then I realized, well, I probably should have called him up first before you have a chance. That's what we should have done instead of me sending that email. And so I got caught up in that. And right. so I think as long as you're learning by that stuff and when you make those mistakes and, you know, and recognize everybody's human, we're all trying to do a job. And that's why when you know, I try to remind clients with a bad mouth another lawyer or whatever, you know, they're, yeah, they're doing, what, they're, they're what doing day, a job. And what day were you perfect? You know, what, right. day, what day did you stick the landing, you know, exactly. and get a 10 from all the judges? You know, it's that's true. And, and then that evolution is another thing is make sure you're growing. You know, these are two things that come up. You know, we've talked about politics a lot, but I've had discussions with people here. I had Dr. Satterley on and uh, this other guy, Steve Gavitorta, who's a consultant for businesses. And we were talking about emotional intelligence, empathy and all that, but also the ability to evolve. And those are two such huge attributes that I think a politician needs that I think we're sorely missing right now and is a big part of the reason we are where we're at is, you know, trying to understand where everybody is coming from uh, and also being able to admit that, yeah, yeah, maybe I, I held that position, but I was wrong, whether it's, you know, Kamala and the prosecution of marijuana cases or Joe Biden and schooling districts or right. whatever the case may be, you know, admitting admitting that you've learned or admitting that you've grown is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. But there's somehow been this this um, villainization of, you know, uh, evolution or of of growing emotionally or you're becoming aware and it's i, I don't know where that comes from but it, it scares me it does me too yeah so lighter fair so let's talk music a little bit um wilco so we did see the bob dylan my morning jacket bob Ware, wilco who else am i missing i think that was pretty much that, it. that was it now did you say the whole show no, I left it. I had never seen Bob Dylan before, and I, I stayed for like three songs and left. So that's exactly what three I'm getting Three songs at. I didn't recognize. Well, not only that, but 
his hands, I don't, I, I'm not sure if this is true, but I, his hands looked so arthritic. I don't even think he could pick up a guitar. I don't know. And my, at one point we were sitting, I was with actually with Niall Brooks and my wife and, and he was started playing Tangled Up in Blue. And I can't remember one of us said it was Tangled Up in Blue. And one, I said, no, it's not. Yeah. I wasn't sure what the song was. And oh, they that were kills like, me. they're ready to go right away. And I said, no, I've never seen it. And then, but like literally three songs were like, okay, I've had enough. It was, I mean, I'm glad I've, I've laid eyes on him in person because he's such a, you know, interesting character for any number of reasons but it was kind of a, a a letdown for me the rest of the show was pretty great i thought bob weir you know popping in on everybody's music was pretty pretty good were you a deadhead no no i saw him once though so tell me tell me about shows what shows pop out in your because you go to quite a few like who, who are some of your favorites what were some of your um, most memorable springsteen where oh wait i remember this you did I, you go to the broadway thing oh yeah oh yeah i've seen springsteen like 14 times, maybe, I think. Oh, my God. That hurts my soul. I'll I've tell you, my, seen my, my best Springsteen, well, my two best, I got to tell you real quick, my two best Springsteen concert memories. The second best, so I saw him in 2003 in, on the, the Rising Tour. Okay. It was the first show they did in, in February. Right after 9-11, yeah, that was the, the 9-11 album, right? They did uh, shows in the fall. Then they, this was the first show in February. It was in um, Gwinnett County Civic Center in Atlanta. And that was just It just opened. And so I went up there and went with my brother-in-law who was living in Atlanta at the time, my wife's um, brother. And the Grammys were like two or three days earlier. Right. And Iraq war was just about to start. And we didn't know for sure it was going to start. And so Springsteen walks out on stage and he says, I would like to, I would like to thank absolutely fucking nobody. And he went into no, no surrender. And oh, it was wow. like, I mean, you couldn't start a concert better than that. I yeah. think you didn't get the best album on, on the Grammys. Yeah. Much. Yeah. And then the other was uh, in 2008. I saw three shows in four nights. Um, oh, my God. And the reason was it wasn't originally supposed to be that way, but Denny Federici died on the Thursday yeah, before yeah. the Saturday show, which was going to be in Tampa, no, Orlando. And then Tampa was Monday in Atlanta on Friday. I had tickets to all three shows. And then um, and then they had to shuffle it. So they wound up doing Tampa on Tuesday, Orlando Wednesday, and Atlanta on Friday. Right. So um, – and we on the Atlanta show that Friday. That's about twelve hours of concerts because he. Well, and then we yeah, and then you want know, matter of fact, in between the Orlando and the Tampa show, they played forty eight different songs. I mean, it tells you what one show yeah. to the next. How you? It's not the same show. Yeah. So the the but we were we would really had figured this out how to get had Clarence right died yet or no okay. So we had really figured out how to get we were playing general admission. We were trying to figure out how to get up front. So right. we got up front for the Atlanta show like right like on Clarence's side of the stage like two deep. And you're waiting a long time. You could know people around it. We took, um, that's when he started taking sign requests. Yeah. So we took a poster board in there and it was my wife and I and, and her brother and his brother's now wife, but girlfriend at the time. And, uh, and we took a Sharpie and we had other people help us and we wrote Bobby Jean yeah. on it. And at some point, and I'm holding it up, but I'm like tall. I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm yeah. really conscious, but I'm not block people. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you see Springsteen say, come to our side of the stage, where's Bobby Jean? He's looking <laughs> at the signs. My wife hands him the sign. Yeah. You put it up, and this is the Phillips Arena Atlanta and plays Bobby oh Jean. My God. And everybody around us is going nuts. That's was, huge. And it was such a cool song, too, for to play at that moment after Danny had died. It was such a weird thing for me with Springsteen because my age, I my first knowledge of him was born in the USA, which is such a – it's not really a good entry point for him. It was in the midst of Michael Jackson, Madonna, MTV, pop music right. and all this other stuff. And so for, for many years, I saw him as a kind of a commercial pop act, you know, and it wasn't until much later that I heard Nebraska and the river and darkness on the edge of town and all these other things and realized 
that he was Mark Twain with a guitar in his hand or so, you know, something to that effect. So, um, just, yeah, he's one that, and he's still healthy, but I, <laughs> it's going to get harder and harder to see him. At some point I have to imagine he's going to hang it up. Well, he just turned 71. Yeah. But yeah, he's in, he's in great shape. He's in but. amazing shape. Yeah. I mean, even Van Halen caught me off guard. He wasn't in the same shape. I think he smoked like a chimney, but <laughs> and probably drank a good, a good deal too. But, um, anyway, so what else besides Springsteen? My morning jacket's another one. Okay, you know, I, you kind of introduced me to Jason Isbell. You and Chris, Chris Givens kind of got me into that and the drive-by truckers and all that kind of world. So, um, thank you for that as well. I'm a huge truckers fan. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was talking. Do you know Have Gun Will Travel, local band? I yeah, I've seen them. Okay, um, yeah. So uh, Scott Anderson, who plays guitar for for them, was in here the other day and. We had a you know conversation about Southern rock, Americana, Muscle Shoals, all that kind of stuff, and that definitely seems to be kind of an area that you gravitate towards with your musical sensibility. That has it's really, I mean, my music has taste have kind of evolved throughout the years, sure. but in, probably in the last ten years, that's probably my um, if I, if I had to pick a genre of music. Yeah, where I, yeah I, I you got a John Prine shirt on today. Have you ever seen him live? I never saw John Prine live. Oh, no. I always it always blows my mind that he lived in Gulfport. Yeah. Like at any point we could have like run into him at Stetson, just, you know, shopping at the Walgreens on the corner there. Yeah. My wife saw him a few years ago um, with her father. They went to see John Prine because he's yeah. a John Prine fan too. I was, I don't know if she was, she probably wasn't there when you were there, but Sally Waters was a research and writing. Oh, yeah, she Do was you there. remember her? Oh yeah. She introduced me to John Prine. She did it. She played me uh Jesus, uh, the, the missing years. And right away I was like, Oh, this is badass. I love this. And I started listening to John Prine studying in law school because of Sally Waters. So that's, that's my John Prine story. But even then I don't think I realized, I don't, maybe he wasn't living there yet, but I didn't realize he was there when, when I was there anyway. Yeah. I, it was never really on my radar that yeah. I never go whenever to try to search out John Prine. I don't well, think he was there when I was there. He's so there is an article somewhat recently. Bill Murray wrote is like hey, what how John Prine pulled him out of his depression and basically he just put John Prine on twenty four seven and somehow he attributes that to pulling him out of his depression. So I always thought that was a good story. I'll have to look for that one. I, I remember seeing that, but I haven't read that article. Yeah. So uh, are are you gonna ride this family law? train to the wheels come off or do you have future plans of you know your partner has got it spends half the time in france do you have dreams of a boat or a trailer or a, or a <laughs> rv or jumping a well, train or you something know, it's funny probably about 10 years ago and, and nancy doesn't spend half her time in well, france, so she, but she you know she um but probably about 10 years ago when somebody asking me Joe, why don't you have a house in France? And I'm like well, i've got three kids i mean that's you yeah. know so what, what, let's get them out of college then i'll talk about a house in france right. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to ride it to the wheels come off. Yeah. Um, as you put it. Now, I, what, what, what that, that looks means, like, I don't know. Um, did you ever think about judge or no? No. Yeah. No. Too I big don't. a pay cut. You know, it's interesting. I, cause I told you when I went to law school was really good in politics. politics. Yeah. And I, even after law school, I almost dipped my toe and at one point run for office. I have no interest in running for office now. It's Zero. a, it's not, it's a, it's a, why would you do it? Like it's, I don't want to say the honor's gone, but kind of the, I mean, the, the ideology behind it, the feeling that you can make a change, the fact that it's kind of making the world a better place. I'm not saying that that's not true, but it's, it seems so Spartan and far apart. It just, you know, I, it's kind of disgusting. And even, you know, it's not so much, I don't think, when you're running for judge because you're limited to what you can say. You can't well, judge, no, it's apolitical. But, but, but even yeah. then, I just, yeah. I'm just saying, I don't, I mean, go out there and, 
raising money and all that is not, I don't really. Well, you know, I mean, I, I just don't have any interest in it anymore. And that's the, so, and I, and I'm not with the current political landscape. Believe me, I, I, I wouldn't get appointed to a judgeship. I mean, that just wouldn't happen. Well, that's, that's interesting and true too. So anyway, well, I can't thank you enough for taking time. I know you're busy. We've been trying to get you in here for a little bit and you kept having trials, but luckily I caught you on a Friday that you had a little bit of free time. I have a question for you. Oh, please. So let me ask you when you, uh, you got a trial, you have a go-to song that you're going to get you pumped up? Um, I do. I've got a couple and it really depends on, uh, if I'm angry, it's metal. Uh, and, and if I'm like really out for blood and writing a legal memorandum, there's a song on broken by Pantera. That one gets me going. Um, I listen to a lot of Stevie wonder and Bob Dylan when I'm prepping trial notebooks. Um, and then Bruce Springsteen is one that I if you listen closely on virtual hearings, you might hear him playing just very low in the background over my Spotify. I don't know that there's a specific song, more just artists. How about you? Um, more just artists. If I had to pick up, I mean, Springsteen's always there. You know, if I always want, look, something pump me up, then there's, yeah. a, there's a few Springsteen examples I can find. But probably the one song that I always come back to my head is, uh, Replacements Unsatisfied. Okay. Just, yeah. No, that's just one of my favorites of all time. And it's just, uh, I, I can, I can feel that. I, one that popped into my head is, uh, is it when, when the man comes to town, uh, Johnny Cash, you know, he's got that kind of running baseline gallop thing to it and feels like, Shit's about to go down. That's that, that's a good one for me. So yeah, but it's funny because music is very. I, I, I walked you right past my office. I did show you, but I have like six or seven guitars in there, and so oftentimes I'm strumming while I'm on the these phone calls or in these hearings or whatever. And it, you know, there's something to fertilizing that other part of your brain that you, you're not using as much in this work that we do right and i think you know damien damien mckinney did that piece there on the wall that art piece on the wall and he's got a studio now he does that and you know a lot of our colleagues have the different things that are they're into but i just i feel that art and music is what makes life worth fighting for what makes life worth living and right now i think we're in a place where it's not held in a high regard but i'm kind of hoping through Politically, what's happening through COVID, through BLM, through all these different things that I'm hoping we have some great music that comes out of, out of it. You know, I'm I'm hoping this turns into that some way. I think, um, you know, I, I think that's inevitable. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of great art period that will come out of this and probably still is is coming out of it. Right. We just don't know about it yet. I'm, I can picture a lot of. Like musicians writing some great songs right now. They just haven't had to get their get their bands together to record. Well, that's them. right. Yeah, you can't even record. Um, but you know, it's interesting how that my brain that side of my brain doesn't work that well. But my uh, my wife's an artist, so I've got that. Oh, hey, is she? Oh, yeah. So what does she do? Mixed media. Okay, but she's got a studio in her house, and we've got a lot of her stuff up in our, my house. So it's interesting. I've got that. Uh, does she sell it? She does. Is and, it, where can I find it? Um, I got to have her on. You should have her on. I would love to have her on. You that should would be have great. Her on. I, I, so in my youth, that was kind of where where I was at. I was really into art. I, I wanted to go to art school, and I ended up not doing it. But my cousins who stayed on that path, they've just done crazy. Like one of them is in charge of all the marketing for like Denny's and Chipotle, and he does like all their animation and all this other stuff. And then, have you ever heard of the? Uh, it's like a German industrial band, Cam FDM. Yes, he did. They like reissued all of their vinyl and all of their discs. And I don't know if you've ever seen their 
art, but it's this very propaganda looking like ink press type art. He, he did, he did all the covers and inlays for, for those albums. And so I, I very much, I'm very much drawn to that. Well, that's cool. So is that something she does professionally or is that something she does on the side? She does it professionally. Okay. Yeah. Well, very cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's, I got, I've got a Navalundi uh, piece right here to my left, which, you know, this was during the run on toilet paper. Uh, uh, yeah. Matt's wife did that for me and I got Damien over there. So I would love to have, have a, one of your wife's speeches. My, my buddy Dave Decker, who shoots photography for, uh, creative loafing, we sent him, we flew him to, uh, Portland for the, for the protests and he had to buy that gas mask on the street to go and shoot. Uh, the photo, so he brought that back for me. So I love to have little mementos from the get, the guests so in here. It's an interesting household I live in with that, you know, because my, you know, my middle daughter is like is in theater, and she's a, actually a very talented artist. Um, yeah. So like she got into uh, one of the schools she applied to, got in with SCAD. Um, you know, been in Savannah, Savannah College of Art and Design, but she gravitated towards theater. Oh, she's my wife is like she her skills. She's like I wish she'd go. We both kind of like wish she'd take advantage of it because her skills are really incredible. I bet she gets that from my wife, not from me. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, my kids are still too young to figure. out. You know, I, I fantasize about who or what they're going to be. I mean, I'm I'm having a blast with them at this age, but I, you know, my my daughter very much needs to be the center of attention, and my son is probably a lot like you. Like he seems like an old soul. Like he he's kind of just measuring up the room constantly and, w- and waiting <laughs> waiting to comment on you know I'm going to reserve comment on what's going on in here. <laughs> Well, anyway, thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. Uh, I just want to thank you in person too. You, you are, uh, definitely a role model, definitely a hero. Uh, it's amazing what you've been able to accomplish and kind of keeping, keeping some, some modicum of civility and what can become a pretty, pretty rough, uh, area of the law. So thank you. Well, thank you. All thank right. you for those kind of works and thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks. Thanks.